that yes or no? How about that? All right. We are ready to roll. And I'm just going to get this out of the way, too, so that I don't trip over it. But I am so excited to be here. My wife, Diane, is here as well. And thank you, Pastor Norm and, and Barb, for inviting us. And, you know, he's had a paper that was due last week for the master's program. And it happened to be a class I was teaching. But, you know, I thought, I'm not going to grade those papers quite yet because I know I'm coming up here to preach. So I waited, so I'll probably do the grading tomorrow. <laughs> but I thought it will be a warmer reception, you know, if, uh, if we wait a little bit on that. So I thought that was a good idea. But we are down at uh, Grand Rapids. Actually, we pastored in the Flint area for about 24 years, my wife and I. And, but we are both Youpers originally. And so we have been living in the Flint area and now Grand Rapids for five years. So about 30 years down here in lower Michigan. And, you know, we just consider ourselves to be missionaries to the trolls. That's, that's, that's how we look at it. Uh, coming up here to preach, though, you know, being in the Gaylord area, well, we always stop here for lunch, of course, on the way back to the UP to see family and vacation and so forth. So we feel like we know this area pretty well, but I, I'm not quite sure what to do with the Gaylord area because it's not Detroit, Grand Rapids, Flint, you know, and it's not quite UP. You can kind of feel the breezes coming, you know, from the UP a little bit there. It's starting to get better the further north we go, the way I look at it. But uh, so you're kind of in between, but hey, you're almost there. You're almost there. And so this is a great part of the country, isn't it? But thanks for, thanks for inviting me, Pastor Norm. I just so appreciate it. I love to minister God's Word. I'm, you know, I'm used to teaching literally nine hours in a single day when, the, uh, when August gets here. And uh, excuse me, September, we're in August already. Whew, time's flying. September gets here, and so I'll just have a brief message today that shouldn't take more than six hours. And, but, I mean, he didn't give me a time, so I assume it's going to be one of those kind of days, you know, but uh, we'll see. I had the great privilege um, going back to school myself about nine years ago, and I went back for my PhD, which is why he's calling me doctor, so if you're, if you're coming up and you to say, hey, uh, Dr. Lidbeck, I, I've got this problem with my back. I'm not going to give you any medicine, but I will lay hands on you. It's a, it's a theological degree, not a medical doctor degree. But I went back to school and uh, got that uh, degree, and one of the things that was a blessing to me that came out of that is the opportunity to have my dissertation published as a book. It's an academic book. It's called Resurrection and Spirit. I just want to warn you, not really trying to sell books today because it is an academic book and it's kind of geared toward an advanced college student. But if you want to see where what I preach today, kind of where the theological background of that is in the Bible, and you're up to a real heavy read, or if you need some sleep at night, whatever the case may be, it might help you out there a little bit. So Resurrection Spirit, you can go on Amazon. And you can just uh, type in Brian Lidbeck or Resurrection and Spirit, and you'll see the book there is available in Kindle version, uh, hardcover, or softcover. And I've, I've got a couple here with me today, and um, I, can, uh, I can just leave these with my wife, and if you want to see her later on, then uh, somebody wants those, that's great. And if not, it's not going to hurt my feelings at all. Like I said, unless you need a little help with sleep. <laughs> But actually, you might enjoy it. 
but that's up to you. I am working on a second book right now, and that I hope will come out uh, next, um, well, 2022 sometime. I'm not sure exactly when. That's called A Biblical Theology of Tongues, and what I am attempting to do in that book is I am attempting to lay out a good biblical foundation for why Pentecostals believe that tongues evidence the presence of the Holy Spirit coming powerfully on a person's life. And, and that will be an interesting one, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I wanted to write on something that wasn't controversial. So I thought I'd just write a book on tongues, you know? <laughs> anyway, so today the title of this message is uh, Royalty on the Rise. And I want to talk a little bit about this subject of the resurrection and the identity of the believer. The resurrection and the identity of the believer. I'm going to begin with a whole bunch of Scripture reading today. And you can go in your Bibles to Genesis, and I'm going to just hit a few passages real quickly. I'm using the NIV. Sometimes I use a version called the BLT. Have you ever heard of the BLT? Delicious version. That's the Brian Lidbeck translation. Uh, you might hear that a little bit today, too. But Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now I'm going to jump back to chapter 1 of Genesis, verses 27 and 28. You can always jot these down or go back and watch the rerun of the message later if you don't quite get it all. going to be a lot of scripture today. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over. Everybody say rule. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Chapter 3, verses 2 and 5, 2 through 5, that is. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die. In the Hebrew text there, the word for die or death is muth. It says, you're not going to muth muth. It repeats the same word to emphasize, you're absolutely not going to die. Don't worry about it. The serpent said that to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. One more. Chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Everybody say dust. Mm. Again, the title of this message is Royalty on the Rise. Royalty on the Rise. Now, why don't you just turn to the person next to you, seeing as we're talking about our identity in Jesus today, and just say to them, Good morning, Your Highness. Those of you live streaming and out there, I know you're probably in your pajamas yet, and that might be a statement of faith to say that to whoever's next to you. 
But go ahead anyway. Good morning, your highness. Go ahead and tell them. It reminds me, dealing with this whole subject, you know, of, of identity and people not understanding who they are in Jesus and not understanding their true identity. Back in the day, uh, one of the vice presidents was out getting ready for the next election, and the vice president was in a nursing home and visiting there and saw a, a lady when he walked into the foyer, and she was there in kind of the gathering area in the, in the, uh, the nursing home, sitting there in a wheelchair, and he comes up and he says, Ma'am, do you know who I am? And she says, she looks at him and says, No, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. But that lady at the desk over there, if you ask her, she can tell you who you are. <laughs> People get very confused on this issue of identity, don't they? But we are, we are the royal children of God today. I have uh, three points for you. And each of them, like I said, is no more than two hours, so no problem at all. But my three points are, if you're taking notes, number one, we've got a lot of Ds today, dust to dust. Everybody say, dust to dust. dust, to dust. Number two, dealing with dust. Go ahead, dealing with dust. And the third one, we're going to be finally done with dust. Give that to me, done with dust. There we go, that's what we're going today. So let's start with dust to dust. What I am really getting at with these passages that I read and where I'm kind of wanting to take you is I want you to understand that Adam and Eve were not just created by God as human beings to do nothing, but they were created under God as royalty, vassals, if you will. God is the great king of heaven and earth, but under God are the, is this creation in the image of God. You know the text says there that God created Adam and Eve in his own image and likeness. In other words, they're not like all the animals. They're not like the rest of the creation. They're at another level altogether. They are God's royal rulers of this planet, put there by God, the great king, as underling kings that we could call vassals to rule the earth. And so then he told them to be fruitful and increase and fill the earth. Subdue it and everybody say rule. rule. Ah, yeah, so I wasn't imagining that. That word is there. They were to be rulers. Did you know that Adam and Eve were royalty? This is what they were. That is what they lost. And so... We see in this story here some words that to tell us a little bit about them. Not only are they royalty, but it says that they are supposed to work in the garden. That Hebrew word is avad, and it means to serve. And then the other word that is used there, they're supposed to take care, means to actually guard the garden, to keep it. And that Hebrew word shamar, that word for keep, guard, these two words together are words in the Bible used of the priests. Well, Pastor Brian, I read my Bible a few times, and I know that verse in the New Testament, and it says there that you are a royal priesthood, right? A holy nation. Where does that come? That comes from the first few chapters of Genesis. It goes back that far. That's not new. That's not new at all. That's what man and woman were created to be in the first place, were God's royal priests on this earth to look after his beautiful creation. Amen? So then they begin to name the animals, and that shows their superiority over them. And the bottom line with all of this is that God raised 
Adam from the dust to be a priest and king. This was the original intention. In other words, here's the dust coming up from the dust means to take your position on your throne as God's royalty and his priestly people. This was the original plan. Unfortunately, there was a royal fall. It was a royal disaster. We read it already, and you know what happened. They began to cross some boundaries wanting to be like God themselves. I'm not happy being an underling king. I want to be the king. I want to be number one. I want to be the captain of my own destiny. I want to be my own God. Who are you to tell me what to do? You think you are? God? <laughs> and that mentality that says, I'm not content being the person that God made me to be under him, that whole thing there is what really defines sin. Sin is discontentment with the gift of one's royal position under God. It's just not enough. Well, what happened then? Well, there were some results of that fall. And one of the big things is that we see is there became a power struggle. Because people weren't happy ruling the creation anymore, they decided in an unhealthy way to start ruling each other. Now some people, and I think they misunderstand this quite badly, but they read this passage in Genesis 3, 16, and it says, your desire will be for your husband, speaking to Eve, and he will rule over you. They think that that's a promise. They think that that's God's design. Not understanding, they are reading about the fall and what happened. It says women then are going to have pain in childbirth. Listen to me. It was no more God's will originally for women to go through all that pain than it is for man to rule and dominate his wife. That was not the plan of God. This is the consequence of what happens when you are no longer in your position, your royal position. When you fall from that position, you try to regain it, and the way you try to regain it is by controlling other people and dominating them and ruling over them in an unhealthy way. You have fights in marriage. How does that happen? That's a result from losing your royal identity, trying to gain the upper hand and get back your place of power. You say, oof, that doesn't sound good. It's not good. Let me give you an example. So one day my wife and I are... Um, just minding our own business at our home, and the doorbell rings. We go and answer the door, and this couple comes in. They want to talk to us. They've been married lots and lots of years at the time. And uh, they come in, and the gentleman, who is no gentleman, begins to talk to me, and he's, he wants to express his opinions on some issues. And so he starts expressing his opinions, and I think such and such and such and such and such and such, and Diane and I are just there listening. Okay, that's your opinion, very nice, you know, whatever. And his wife turns and says, well, I think, and he turns to her and says, you shut up. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the fall. When you're royalty, you don't have to talk that way. You know who you are. You don't have to put other people under your thumb. You're content being God's royal person under Jesus. 
You could treat people with love and kindness. But when you don't know who you are, that's how you act. I said, when you don't know who you are, that's how you act. Something going on back there where you don't understand. People who, people see who know who they are in God, they don't have to be that way. Let me give you an example. So I teach freshmen often, you know, they come in 18 years old, and they come into class, and sometimes they'll challenge me on some theological position, and it's okay. I have four, you know, college and graduate degrees and biblical languages and all this stuff under my belt and everything, so I'm pretty secure about my beliefs, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about it. You could challenge me, and it's okay. That's really nice. And I always tell the students, because I try to be real humble about it, and I say, listen, if you want to be wrong, go for it. <laughs> in fact, I, did I tell you about the other book I'm working on? It's called The Four Most Humble Men in America and How I Helped the Other Three. <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, I'm kidding that, you know, I, I, I'm kidding about that. But in any event, sometimes they'll come in, they're challenging me. It's like, hey, all right, I'm happy for you. And it doesn't disturb me at all. In fact, by the end of class, I've already forgotten the conversation. Why? Because I'm secure in a lifetime of studying, and, and if I did learn something new, wonderful, but I'm secure. I know who I am. I know who's the teacher in the classroom. Nothing to worry about. But if you come in and you're insecure, how dare you challenge me? Right? If you seriously have a pride issue going on, what happens, an insecurity issue, you just, you're just going to buck up against anybody else suggesting that they might know more than you or know something you don't. That's the difference between knowing who you are and having a sense of peace and resting in Jesus and your royal identity and living in fallenness where you're scratching and, and kicking and clawing and trying, to, and trying to get recognized. It doesn't work, does it? What you see when people are living in that fallen state and they have lost their royal identity and they, and they don't realize who they are in Jesus is that we end up with indicators and we have control and manipulation and domination. They're all indicators of royalty gone awry. Just think if every husband and every wife understood their royal identity in Jesus how the fighting in the household would come right down. That competition could leave. Well, what happened to Adam and Eve then? Well, here's another thing that people don't often notice when they read Genesis, they don't understand. The Garden of Eden was a sanctuary of God's presence. What you're looking at when you're looking at the Garden of Eden, it's not just a garden, it's a temple. In fact, later on, you're reading in the Bible and you're reading some of those really exciting passages in Leviticus and, and Numbers and Exodus and so forth, and, and you're just like, oh God, I know I'm supposed to have devotions and the pastor said I should read my Bible, but Lord, if I were to be honest right now, this is really boring. A lot of reason that those parts of the Old Testament seem so boring to people is because they don't understand what's developing in the narrative. And so you're reading about the tabernacle, and the tabernacle had these curtains. And it's like, am I done with my devotions yet? And these cur curtains were the, all these palm trees. Oh, that's, Lord, do I really need to know about the decor? Yes, you do, because the palm trees reflect the Garden of Eden. 
The tabernacle is designed and decorated as a temple to indicate God's presence in their midst, just like the Garden of Eden was a temple of God's presence. And so when Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, what happens? Cherubs, cherubim are put there blocking access to the presence of God because they are now in their fallen state. They are now now out there returned to dust. See, to come out of the dust is to be enthroned to come from that place of royal enthronement back to the dust, death into the dust is to be dethroned. Are you getting it? And so they were kicked out of the sanctuary. Now, what else do we see? Go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What was God's will? You're going to take this sanctuary of the Garden of Eden and the whole earth, you're going to make a sanctuary of my presence where people are going to worship me and love me. So the whole earth is a sanctuary for, for people to love God and God to love them and be in relationship. That was the plan. That's why you have a great commission today. What are you doing? You're going back to the original plan to fill the earth with God's glory. That's what's happening. So they no longer have access to God's presence now. They are are kicked out. They're returning to dust. For dust you are, and to dust you will return, dethroned. We could say that sin sent the stately twosome down to the dust. Whew, starts out on a pretty, pretty down note, doesn't it? All right, now the story continues because now we're going to deal with the dust. Dealing with the dust. Let's move along. If you have your Bibles, you're going to have to read real quickly with me or just take notes and look at them later. But let's take a, a look at how God deals with the dust. First Samuel chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, I'm looking at. This is the story of Hannah. Hannah wants to have a child. She's being made fun of because she's not able to get pregnant. She finally does. She gives birth to a boy and Samuel, and she gives him to the Lord, and she's rejoicing over this great miracle that has happened because where death was in her womb, God performed a resurrection. And now she, she is rejoicing and praising God, and she says, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Listen to this. He raises the poor from the, you got it, the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. To come from the dust, to be lifted up by God, is to be enthroned. Hey, How do you think these New Testament writers knew to tell us and the disciples that one day you are going to rule and reign with Christ? Where did they get that from? The answer, Genesis. They understood the biblical pattern of what was taking place. And so we see this all throughout the Scripture now, from the dust to the throne, or disobey God, live in sin, reject Jesus, from the throne to the dust. Say, well, give me an example. Okay, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. The first will be last. The last will be first. It's all through the Bible. This reversal of positions based on your orientation toward the Lord Jesus, whether you love him, embrace him or not. Uh, Let's go to Isaiah 25. 
Isaiah chapter 25, verse 12. Here the nation of Moab has been ganging up on God's people, Israel. And here's what God says to them. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground to the very... To the very... There you go. So Moab, you're going down because your pride and your arrogance ganging up on my people. I'm going to have to deal with you. The next chapter in Isaiah 26, verse 5. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city, Moab, that's you arrogant people, low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the There it is again. We might say another one bites the dust. <laughs> then the next part here of this section of Scripture, Isaiah 26, 19. We have one of the greatest resurrection passages in the entire Old Testament. I'd, I'd say one of the two greatest. Isaiah 26, 19, listen to this though. Talking now to his people. Not those who oppose his people, but talking to his people. But your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the Wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Woo! So while some are going to bite the dust, those who have humbled themselves under the hand of God are going to be lifted up. They're going to rise. How are they going to rise? They're going to rise physically from the dead. Let me tell you why a resurrection is coming. Because God won't leave his royal children in the dust. So it's an Old Testament thing. You are coming back. You are coming back. When Jesus comes into your life, that resurrection power hits you, and the resurrection is already beginning. But at the end of time, when that trumpet sounds, we're coming back, and the dead in Christ are going to rise because God won't leave his children in the dust. That's why there must be a resurrection. That's why you must come back because you're royalty and you don't belong down there. Hallelujah. I go to Daniel now, chapter 12. Probably perhaps the greatest resurrection passage in the Old Testament. Verses 2 and 3. Listen carefully. Multitudes who sleep in the of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And only, in other words, those people have a resuscitation and they end up back in the dust. But for those of us who love God, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. This is royalty language. This is kingdom language. Those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever, you're going to shine. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter right now what's, what's come after you, what you're dealing with in your body, what sickness has afflicted you, what what ways you've been treated in this world, I want you to know that you are headed for a resurrection in Jesus, that the resurrection power is already in you, and this is not all there is. Hallelujah. <laughs> resurrection and enthronement is God's plan to deal with dust. He's not going to leave you there. This is so important that you understand this. Rising from the dead is not merely resuscitation to come back. That is not what it's even primarily about. Rising from the dead is to retake your royal position as kings and queens under the Lord Jesus. 
If you miss that, you miss half the blessing. We see all kinds of examples in the Old Testament, of course, of people who rose from the dead. Elijah raised the widow of Zarephath's son. Remember, Elisha raised the Shunammite's son. They one time some guys threw a dead man into a grave that happened to belong to uh, Elisha. The guy touches his bones and comes back to life. Elijah himself, you remember, ascends into heaven in a whirlwind. This chariot comes by, but then he ascends in the whirlwind. And when he ascends, he goes up directly to be in the presence of the Lord. And when the New Testament describes in Acts 1 and Luke 24 the ascension of Jesus, guess what? It's in the identical terms as was described of Elijah ascending into heaven because Elijah is anticipating a day when a greater resurrection will come. Resurrection is the divine response to dust. We learn in Acts that Christ is the one who conquers the dust because in chapter 2, verse 24, it says, but God raised him from the dead. He's the first one to come back so that we can follow in his glorious train. Amen? Of him it says, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay because he wasn't going to rot in the dust. God rescued him from the dust. And even in Luke, when he says, and he prays to the Lord, into, my, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit, what he is saying right there, if you go back and read the psalm where that comes from, he's saying, I trust you to not leave me in the grave. I know you're coming for me, Father. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let me help you. It's not just that Jesus came back to life again. No, no, that's not all. But he came back to life as the first stage coming out of the dust to ascend into heaven, to take his royal position at the right hand of the Father and to be our King and our Lord so he is the Lord and Messiah of all the earth. And when people respond to that and they begin to speak in other tongues they are declaring his lordship over every nation because the tongues of praise are the tongues of the nations responding to the rule and reign of our glorious lord jesus hallelujah hallelujah because of jesus we're finally going to be number three done with dust Woo! can't wait to be done with dust how about you it's coming it's coming when we think about being royalty on the rise, we need to understand that this resurrection power has already come into our lives through faith in Jesus. Whether you're watching right now by the live stream, whether you're watching a rerun later, whether you're here in person, I want you to know right now that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that the breath of the Almighty God will breathe into you and give you new life, and that resurrection process will begin, and you will start coming out of the dust. He will make you a new person. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, that, that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, what, did, what happened here? God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
And it says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That the re-enthronement has been begun. Your position now is not in the dust. Your position now is sitting with Jesus Christ. And you are now with him positionally, spiritually. This world may not recognize it. Maybe your spouse doesn't even recognize it. But I want you to know that is who you are. You are ruling and reigning with Christ right now already, spiritually speaking. I'll tell you what, it gives a whole new twist to everything. Pastor Norm was telling me that one of the first things that he had to do when he came here was clean some restrooms. Having pastored for many years, I understand the concept. But I just want you to know, I don't know who the custodians are here. I don't know if Pastor Norm has still got that job, if he's sharing it with others. But I want you to know when you're cleaning those thrones, you're cleaning them for your royal highnesses. The phrase, in Christ, is used approximately 34 times in the book of Ephesians. Everything that you have, you have because you are in Christ. We have revelation in Christ. Knowledge of God in Christ. This position in Christ. It's all about Jesus. Nothing you did has nothing to do with how good or bad you've behaved. It's not your background. It's not your upbringing. It's in Christ. I want you to know that when you come to Jesus, you not only get a new future, you get a new past. Say, what do you mean by that, a new past? What I mean by that is you're in a new family. You've been adopted. You are now in my family. I hate, I apologize to you. You know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, my students accuse me of telling a lot of dad jokes. I don't know what they mean by that exactly. They accuse me of that. But what that means is you are now related to me. Listen to me. Even if your parents, if you never knew your parents, if your parents gave you up, if you were adopted, if your parents were too ashamed because maybe you came about through a, a set of circumstances that were sinful or not ideal or whatever, and you got here and you don't even know your parents, so they were ashamed of you and wouldn't even admit who you are, and whether you never knew them or you know them or they abandoned you or whatever, I want you to know every one of us here that knows Jesus has been adopted into a new family and has a new identity, and right now you are related to that guy who's living in Grand Rapids as a missionary to the trolls, and you could, and you could take credit that you know him because he is in your your family or you can hide it if you want whichever but there you go <laughs> you understand what I'm saying your history now is John Wesley and George Whitfield your history now is the Apostle Paul this is your family this is who you are it doesn't matter how you physically got here it's who you are now in Jesus Christ that matters it says in the text that having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. You were raised with him who raised him from the dead. You have been lifted up. Glory to God. You've already been raised inwardly. 
So what does that mean in terms of the significance now of your risen and royal status? Your status right now is royalty, priest of God. It is no longer, oh, you can't do anything right. Don't you ever do anything right? You're stupid. It's not your identity. Ah, oh, you're ugly. You'll never be as pretty or as handsome as... So Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Wish you'd never been born. You're lazy. Worthless. This is the serpent bringing people down to the dust. Sometimes it comes right from the mouth, and often it's the most hurtful when it comes right from the mouth of somebody you're close to, like a parent. And it's the serpent coming in and trying to bring you down to the dust. And Jesus says, no, you are my royal child, and that is not who you are. That is not your identity. You are not stupid. Some of you have been cursed by people, even if it was just offhanded, and they said, you know what, you're probably going to end up a, just a drunk. Your dad was a drunk, your grandpa was a drunk, your grandpa, grandpa was a drunk. They were drunks all the way back to the Old Testament times. They were the history of drunks, and you're going to be a drunk just like them. It is a lie from the pit of hell, because that's not who you are, but you don't understand I do deal with the problem of drinking, of alcoholism. Yeah, well, you know how you get out? Here's how you begin. You invite Jesus in your life, and then you start to realize who you are in Jesus, and you realize that acting that way is beneath you because that's dust and your royalty. A lot of people just don't realize who they are. And so a lot of times you act like who you think you are rather than who Jesus says you are. You're struggling with pornography and you think, you know what, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so ashamed, and, and I'm, I just can't get out of it, and I'm stuck in it, and I don't know what to do, and that's just who I am, and I've been doing this for years, and you're ashamed because you got your little, your little phone, and, you, and you're going into your phone, and you're sneaking peeks here and there, and you just think that. That is not who you are as a believer in Jesus. It may be something you've done, but it is not who you are. When you sin, you are acting like someone you're not. You don't have to do it. But a good place to begin to be delivered from it is to say, I recognize and I accept God's gift to me to make me his royal child. And when you realize that, now you can begin acting like who you are. You know, I've had young people come to me at times, and one particular stands out to me. The mother said, you know what, I thought about aborting you, and I wish I had. That could mess with your identity. But your identity is not who your mother says you are. Your identity isn't who your father says you are, not your father on earth. Unless you have a father that actually affirms that God-given identity, and I hope some of you I've had that privilege of having that kind of dad. But I want to tell you that your identity comes from what Jesus did, dying on a cross, paying for your sins, rescuing you from the dust, and making you his child. You know, some people, some years ago, 
they kind of got a little bit confused and started to realize a little bit about, hey, you know, we're, we are royalty and the scripture does teach that. And so they thought that was, a, I kind of went the wrong way, and that, that was an a impetus to go out and be arrogant and go around and demanding things. It's not how it works. People who are royalty, we know who we are, and so we don't have to be that way. We're comfortable living in the love of Jesus. We know who we are, and we have faith in Him to take care of things, but we don't have to fix it, everything. I'll tell you what, in this environment in the last two years, if you don't know who you are, you're going to live every day mad. If you think this is all there is, you're going to live angry. I don't care if you're on the left or the right or if you're a mask or no mask or vaccine or no. You're going to live angry, but I'll tell you what, I refuse it because I am not of this world. I am a royal child, and I'm going to act like a royal child, and I'm going to live in peace, and I'm going to glorify Jesus, and I'm going to preach his word, and I'm going to have a good fun, a good lot of fun, and I'm going to come here to Gaylord and have the time of my life regardless of what everybody else is doing because I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. Some of you, sometimes the serpent comes to you in the first person and he says, I. Here's what he says to you. He says, I can't do it. I'll never get over this sin. That's not you talking. That's the serpent. Just because he uses the word I doesn't mean you have to buy it. I said just because he uses the word I doesn't mean you have to buy it. I've had so many experiences in my life trying to deal with people that I, the only way I know how to refer to this situation is empty tank. And I try to tell them, hey, you're valuable. God loves you. And it does have an impact on them. But the dust is so deep in their spirit that no matter what you do, they don't seem to be able to pull out of that negative self-image. Even though they're believers in Jesus. And you know what they need? They need an encounter with the love of Jesus that goes way beyond human encouragement and goes right into their spirits and awakens that truth in them that they're children of God. I've prayed that for all those who hear this message. That it not be merely men's words today, but it be a fountain of life bursting forth in your spirit, transforming how you think about yourself, transforming how you think about the body of Christ. Because we are one body, there's a sense of solidarity here. We are brothers and sisters. Even though you never knew me before this day, I am your relative and you're not getting rid of me. <laughs> Sometimes Satan will come to you, though, and say, I'm not talented enough. Do you know how many times I have heard those words in my head in my lifetime? I'm the first person in my entire family, going back to the Ice Ages, to have a doctoral degree. Do you have any idea how many times I... Didn't think I could do it. My wife, she's so kind. I would be, I would come home from work, and then she would have the meal ready. I would eat, and then I would go downstairs and study the rest of the night. I had to do this for years, basically. 
Because Jesus called us to do this, and I say called us because we did it together. But I would get down there, and there would be a little sticky note on the bottom of my computer screen, on the edge of it, and it would say, you can do this. You've got this. I love you, sweetie. I'm proud of you. That wasn't the voice of the serpent. That was a voice from heaven. Strengthening you to do what you have to do for Jesus. Other people maybe are smart enough that they don't need that kind of encouragement. But me, I have to rely on Jesus for everything. How about you? I never take anything for granted that everything has to depend on him. If I can breathe one more breath and my heart beats one more beat, it's because of his goodness and mercy. Maybe I'm not holy enough. Okay, when you do get holy enough, let me know. I want to see that. (laughs) What will people think of me? You know why we use the gifts of the Spirit? Because we don't care about what people think of us. We care about people loving Jesus and knowing Him and being encouraged. You are royalty on the rise. Everybody say, I'm royalty. Okay, we're getting there. We might be done in less than six hours after all. I want to explain a passage to you. I think you're probably familiar with it if you've read the Bible much. If you're new, maybe you haven't heard it, but it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And it says there that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ. That's not talking about some other church in town. But he are in the grave, will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air now what's that all about people who died a hundred years ago that love Jesus the reason they have to be resurrected out of the dust first and if Jesus comes well we're still living here and then they come back and meet us is because there is only one church there always has been only one church there's always only been one people of God And all the people of God are going to meet Jesus in resurrected bodies, in glorified bodies together. So they come back up. We're on the same level now. And then we all rise to meet Jesus who's coming. And he takes us up. And the reason there's a catching up is it's a symbol of being restored to your royal position. Hallelujah. The Lord himself is coming to get you. So whether it's box and berry or whether it's burn and urn, baby, you'll be back. (laughs) For some of us, it's just going to be trumpet and transport. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because what God decided to do back there in the Garden of Eden in raising you from the dust and bringing you back, it's coming to completion in a whole new creation and a new heavens and a new earth where we will rule and reign with Christ forever. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians. Let me close with one more passage of Scripture for today. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ, past tense, Set your heart on things above. What's above? Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's what's above. 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We could put all that to death because that's dust stuff, and we're not dust. We're come out of the dust to be his royal children. You have the power to live victorious over those besetting sins. I want you to know that some of you at one time or another, or maybe even right now, have heard the serpent speaking into your spirit, into your voice, into your brain and saying, nobody loves you. Why don't you just end it all now? And I came to tell that person today that that is the serpent, that that is a lie from the pit of hell, that the reason you're hearing this message, you said, God, send me a sign. Here it is. You said, send me a sign. So here it is. I'm telling you, this is from God. You don't have to go that route of death and destruction because God has a plan to make you alive and brand new in Jesus Christ. And for those that you've been living in failure and defeat, I just want you to know that Jesus brought me here to Gaylord today to tell you that he is not done with you and that he has a plan for your life to help you be everything that he's got for you to be and that you don't have to live in depression and you don't have to live in defeat. Several years ago, it was, it was 1996, I had been pastoring at that time for four years and I was so depressed, I was so down, I didn't know what to do with myself. My earthly father had just passed away. I was, I was going through grief from that. The church I was pastoring was a wreck. We had all kinds of problems I had inherited and I couldn't make anybody happy. We had people come in and, the music is too fast. I like the old blood songs. And, the next, and then the young people come in, the music is too slow. Can't we, you know. I'll tell you what, if there's ever a job on this planet where you can't make everybody happy, it's a pastorate. Hey, you be nice to your pastor. Amen over there. Be kind to your pastor, especially during this season right now where I hear so many stories from pastors all across the state where they, woof, everybody's always mad about something. Too much mask, too little mask, too whatever. You just, you, just can't, you just can't do it. But I just want you to know today that through your identity in Jesus Christ and through this, and through this bond that we have of believers, this solidarity that we can live above the dust and live with the royal victory of Christ. I was living in that depression, as I mentioned. I went to a revival service, and it blew off of me. I wasn't sleeping on Sunday night till 2, 3, 4 in the morning. I didn't even know how depressed I was. And in a moment, Jesus just blew it off of me, and I was brand new. Revival broke out in our church and it never ended. Just year after year of watching, experiencing, feeling the glory of God, filling the house and touching people again. It was just amazing. 
the goodness of God. So I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how long you've been depressed. It doesn't matter how, junk, how much junk has landed on your shoulders in these last couple of years especially. It doesn't matter how many pills that you've been taking just to try to get back. And no shame in that at all, by the way. Just do whatever you can do. I tell people just to, you know, live the best you can. But I'm just going to tell you, there is no healing like the glory of God coming and visiting your life. Jesus has done it for me. I, wanna, I just want to finish with one last story here. Tell you just a little bit about my life. I know some of you were probably born brilliant. I was not. <laughs> I, rem <laughs> I remember being third, fourth grade. I believe it was fourth grade where they split you up into two reading classes, at least where I went to school. The smart kids and the stupid kids. That's a terrible way to put it, but from a third, fourth grader, you understand, right? That's not the way they intended it, but it's the way it felt as a kid. I was not in the smart class. <laughs> I was in the, other, the struggling to get by. I could not get reading. I couldn't read. I just, couldn't, I just could not figure it out. When I was in second grade, I had a teacher that was meaner than a junkyard dog. <laughs> she had no patience with me. I wasn't getting it, but she just paid no attention to me. Didn't help. Third grade comes along. I'm still just struggling to get a C. So right about the end of third grade, going into fourth grade, by that time, we all knew who the smart kids were in school and who the not-so-smart ones. I'm not going to ask for a showing of hands of how many of you were with me in the not-so-smart. Okay, but uh, that's where it was for me. My dad saw what was going on, and he took me aside. And he said, Brian, in the evenings, I'm going to sit down with you, and I'm going to teach you how to read. This is a kid who can't get reading and just can't function at school well at all. I just assumed I was just an average kid who had no academic ability and was just, you know, probably going to just do something that didn't require reading in life, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> yeah, what job is that again? <laughs> Not too many, but... He sat me down and my dad just began to teach me. Patiently explaining everything to me. In a matter of months, I caught on, and off I went. Now, I was sitting in fourth grade class, minding my own business, and this smart girl was sitting over there a little ways away. And we all knew she was going to have all A's on her report card because that's how that worked. That's all oh, those smart girls. Urgh! Anyway, sorry, no problem here. Maybe I need to pray for me. Okay, a little healing need yet. <laughs> I get handed my report card, and I open it up, and it's straight A's. And off I went. When I took the exam for uh, what they call the GRE, for graduate studies, I was way at the top in the country in reading comprehension. 
Once I learned how to read, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, and at, and then by, at age 12, put a supernatural hunger in my heart at a Bible camp, and I started reading the Bible every day, and I've been reading the Bible daily ever since age 12. As you can imagine, that's been almost 20 years now. (laughs) 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 What happened? My father valued me. And when I felt his value, it changed my behavior and my ability. And I want you to know today you have a father who values you, who sees you as his royal child, who's invested in you to the point of dying on a cross. And he wants you to know his love and experience your royal identity. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? Father, I just thank you so much today for the privilege of coming to be with my brothers and sisters in this beautiful place. I thank you, God, for so many times you have healed and delivered me and made me aware that I've been adopted into an awesome family to be your child. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I don't know everybody's story here, really hardly anybody's. I don't know, Lord, the people listening right now in virtual attendance. I don't know what they're going through. But Father, I just ask right now that you just get a hold of their hearts and lives in any area that needs to be given over to you, whether they don't know you at all or whether they know you, but they've got some things that they just have to say, God, I am your child. Help me now to know who I am and to live like who I should be. I just pray for them, Lord. This morning with our heads bowed, just for a few minutes here. Because I don't know everybody. Perhaps there's some of you here that you don't know Jesus. Maybe even the reason is because of something somebody said at some point. Something someone from a church did. Maybe you've held, held it in your heart and said, well, I don't want that. I don't know. Maybe you just showed up today and it, was, it seemed like just an accident. You tuned in or you just showed up and you just kind of did out of the blue. But really what this is is a divine appointment. God has said, I want you in my family. And so it is so easy to become a member of this family a child of God. Jesus died and paid for all of your sins to wipe out your past. All the sins, all the things that you've done that were wrong, things that you regret, he wants to wash those things all away. He paid for them already. And all that you need to do now is say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and be my Lord. I want to be your child. I need you to forgive me Make me brand new. With our heads bowed, I just wonder if there's, is there anybody like that that would raise a hand on the count of three? I'm just going to count to three and you would just say, that's me. I just want you to just pop your hand up real quick, okay? Just let me see it so I can, I can pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way or anything like that. Just, it's just your way of saying, yeah, today I want to become a child of God. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When I count to three, even if you're online, 
Even if you're, even if you're at home, just, just pop your hand up there, okay? Just as an act of faith to say, yes, I'm putting my trust in Jesus today. Here we go. On the count of three. One, two, three. Just pop it up right now and say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Okay? Go ahead. Just pop it up. I need Jesus in my life, my Savior. If you're online, again, I encourage you to get a hold of Pastor Norm here or someone at the church say, like to pray with you. We're going to all pray together right now because I don't know who out there is, is listening, so we're going to all pray together. Pray after me if you would. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I want to be your child. I want to come into your family. So I give my life to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Now with our heads bowed, we're going to pray one more thing because I got a feeling there's a lot of people that need to do this. So just pray after me. And Jesus, thank you for making me your child. That I'm royalty. You brought me out of the dust. You saved me, made me brand new. And now, Lord, help me to realize who I am so I can act like the person you've made me to be rather than the dust I came from. Make me new. Wash away my sins, addictions, evil words that have been spoken to me, let them no longer affect me. Take away the depression. The sense, Lord, of feeling abandoned. Discouragement. Evil words. I give it all to you. And I affirm that I am your child. And I want to serve you, love you, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.